Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Lots of ground to cover. Let's get right to it. All right. It might not be a felony per se, but it is it is what I would describe as felony stupid. Now, one of the more interesting trials that we're going to have in Wisconsin over the course of the next few months is going to be the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. Kyle Rittenhouse is the now 18, then 17-year-old guy from Antioch, Illinois, who showed up the third nights of the riots in Kenosha, armed to the teeth, and got involved in an altercation with protesters, ended up shooting and killing two of them. Everybody knows the story, and and shooting a third, severely wounding him. He's now facing just a a wide array of charges. It's not a slam-dunk prosecution because there's going to be the question of self-defense that is raised, and depending on the jury makeup and depending on how the evidence comes out, some jurors may find that compelling. You know, once we're, we're going to talk about the trial extensively as it gets closer and, you know, whether or not it's a self-defense case or or not. But Rittenhouse, it has become a, a sort of a, almost a celebrity figure. I mean, there are that they raised the, there were people that donated to his defense fund. And there's some questions about what happened to some of the money. But the bottom line is right now he's free on two million dollars cash bail free on $2 million cash bail. And along with the bail requirements, along with just posting the bail, there's always a a set of requirements that you're supposed to have. No contact with the alleged victims, et cetera, et cetera. All these different things. No, No leaving the country. All these different rules that are out there. Well, apparently what happened is Rittenhouse goes to about a week after, um, about a week or so ago, two weeks ago, Rittenhouse was seen drinking at a Mount Pleasant tavern. And he's at the tavern, and he's apparently with his mother. He's with several other adults. He's at a place called Pudgy's Pub in Mount Pleasant. And he's drinking beer, and he's wearing a T-shirt and the T-shirt says, free as, and then it has a really bad word on it that I cannot say on the radio. Now, I, I just I just want to back up here for a second. And I'm thinking, all right, if I'm a lawyer in this case, and this is my client, and my client who is awaiting trial, a trial which could see or theoretically see him being put in prison for the rest of his natural life, and he's in a very, very controversial situation, the last thing I'm going to want my client to do is go into a bar, number one, in a public setting, and number two, be wearing a T-shirt like like this, which um, sort of, well, forget sort of, I mean, it, it kind of makes a statement, which is kind of um, like saying, you know, screw you to the, the criminal justice system, I'm free as as blank. Apparently, while he's there, he's also um, flashing white power signs, and he's serenaded with the Proud Boys anthem. He's also posing for pictures with, with people. 
Now, if I'm the lawyer and I'm watching all this, I'm going, oh, my goodness, you know, what what's going on here? Now, on top of that, so originally there was people saw this because it got out on social media, as it always does. And the, the initial push was revoke his bail. He's 18 years old. You got to be 21 to drink. He shouldn't be there. Well, as it turns out, you know, he was with his he was with his mother and the way the. The way the law in Wisconsin works is you can legally drink in a tavern if you are there with your parents. So, you know, somebody who's 18 or 19 years old or 16, for that matter, if if the bar will serve you and mom or dad is there, your parent or guardian, you can legally drink. So he didn't technically violate any terms and conditions of his release. But now this story is out there. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Regardless of, of what you think about Rittenhouse's guilt or innocence, regardless of whether you think he, he's a murderer or he's somebody who's been wrongfully singled out. Okay, regard, I don't care about how you think about how this trial is ultimately going to be determined. My question is this, and I think it's actually directed at the friends and in particular the parent. What parent in their right mind under these circumstances takes takes or allows their child to go to a, a bar and, and drink beer under these circumstances, you know, wearing a T-shirt like this? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, what, what possible good can come from something like this? And I'm, and I, I guess whenever I see these kind of stories and I think, okay, I, my parents both passed away, but I'm, I'm thinking, all right, what, what would Ann and Jack Wagner do? And, and I, I can tell you, Ann and Jack Wagner, if their kid was in trouble like this, or forget even being in trouble. There's no way in the world that a responsible parent would take their kid and put him in a situation like this. Now, it speaks nothing. Again, the, the, I say the kid. He's 18 years old. So you, you make kind of your own choices. But at, at the same time, if, if you're stupid enough to do something like this, don't you expect that parents are going to come in and kind of say, look, we're, we're laying low until until the trial. Don't you realize there's all these different things that can happen? And the last thing that you want to do before your trial is show up in a bar drinking, wearing a T-shirt like this, flashing, allegedly flashing white power signs and posing with people. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Debbie in Brookfield. Debbie, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing today? I'm well, thank you. What do you think about this story? Well, I can't think of any circumstance. I have four sons. They're all over age now. But I can't think, think of any circumstance that at just 18, I would have been sitting in a bar with them. N- nonetheless, under the circumstances where they're awaiting trial and have for, all these for homicide, yeah, for, for for murder, it's not even just like hey, you're 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 on trial for littering, you're on trial for your life essentially, and this is what mom thinks it's a good idea uh, to do. Oh, I would be, I would be. You are not leaving this house, and you are going to lay as low as possible. And maybe there will be some kind of better outcome. Who knows? But you are not going in a bar and certainly not with me. 
Well, well, right. No, th- thanks for calling. I mean, according to the prosecutor's allegations, and like I say, initially there were reports revoke his bail. He's illegally drinking. Well, he wasn't illegally drinking. I mean, in Wisconsin, the drinking age is 21. But if you're with a parent or a guardian, you can be in a tavern and you can, in fact, drink. But so according to the motion, before entering the bar, Rittenhouse posed outside with two men as they put their thumbs and forefingers together in what like looks like an upside down OK sign, which has become a symbol used by white supremacists. Once inside, Rittenhouse had three beers over 90 minutes, again, which is legal in Wisconsin since he was with his mother. Uh, It's just um, Rittenhouse was also serenaded by five men singing Proud of Your Boy, which prosecutors say was written for a Disney film, but has become the anthem of Proud Boys. Okay, and and again, I... I, I mean, I don't know if that's true or not, that this is the anthem or whatever, but really, what what are you doing? You you just, when, if, when you're involved as a criminal defendant in a case like this, where your defense is essentially going to try to be that you're a victim, and, and again, I, I, I don't know how that's going to all play out. We'll have an opportunity to talk about it, but the defense is going to be that you're a victim. You were there to try to um, calm the situation that night in Kenosha, and what happened is, you know, you you got set upon by the the mob, and you had no choice but to shoot people to defend yourself. I, I'm not I'm not saying I buy that. I'm just saying that that's what the defense is going to be. That essentially you were a victim, and you were forced into these actions. I, I mean, if I'm a prosecutor, all this behavior. All this behavior is evidence that I'm going to try to introduce showing, hey, there, there's no remorse here at all. If nothing else, even if not at the trial phase, it certainly comes into play at the guilt phase in the event that he is convicted. Why, who would think that this would be a good idea? 855-616-1620. Kevin in Burlington. Hi, Kevin. You're on WTMJ. Hey, thank you for having me. Yes, sir. What do you think? I agree with your word. I think the remorse is the main, main, uh, you know, word. You know, in terms of drinking, fine. You know, enjoy yourself, do your thing. Uh, anything that's legal, you continue to do that. But we got to be, we got to hold ourselves accountable. I mean, if you're on trial for something like this, this doesn't bode well for you. And and honestly, I know you mentioned let's not get into the trial or whatnot. And how can you not? It's like when you start putting the pieces together, and you're like, well, this is the behavior after the fact. You're going to get a lot of people who may have been on the fence about the whole riots yeah. and whatnot. They're going to they're going to take a step, take a step back and say, "Hey, why was this kid there?" Even if they supported him in the in the beginning, which I don't, and you know, yeah, no, I get I it. A lot of people don't, but going to take a step back. Oh no, I uh, no, I think I mean I I agree. This is not. I mean, all I can tell you, and I I, I was a prosecutor. I. I did, over my legal career, I, I handled very few criminal defense cases. Very, very few. That just that wasn't the nature of my practice. But if I was a criminal defense attorney, my advice would be: Look, this is a very, very controversial thing. This is a high-profile type of thing. As I was saying a couple minutes ago, ultimately, we're going to try to portray you as the victim in this case. And again. You know, I, I, whether that works or not is a whole different story. But that's what the portrayal is going to be. You were a victim who, you know, fearing for your life was forced to do all this stuff. This type of behavior, I mean, put aside the, the drinking in the bar, but but th- this type of, of behavior, the posing, the wearing a T-shirt like that. I mean, it, it's it really it's just kind of flaunting the fact that you are free on bail and show that you don't at least 
I think you could make a very strong argument that it shows that you don't take any of this stuff seriously. And the truth of the matter is, whether you're going to be ultimately convicted of a crime or not, two people are dead and one person is seriously injured because of your actions. And you you would think that you would be contrite. You would think that you would be laying low. And if I if this were my kid, <laughs> I guarantee you, okay, here, you you know, gee, Mom, I, I'd love to go hang out with a couple people and go up to Pudgy's or whatever the place, Pudgy's Pub, and have a couple brews. How about you come along with me so I can drink? My response would be, get down in the basement. Get back into your room. Pull down the drapes. You know, the only people I want you talking to are either me or your lawyers. 855-616-1620. Mark in Illinois. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Mark. Mark, hey. I'm sorry, Mike. Mike. Hi, hi, Mike. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Hi, Mike. Hi, Jeff. Hi. Um, you know, I actually have some uh, a little bit of sympathy for him because I have a feeling that he did not have very good parenting. And I don't want to judge his parents. I don't know them. But just for the fact that he, his mom allowing bringing him into a bar after what's gone on, you know, you mentioned your parents. Yeah. I think about my parents. If, if that if, if my, my dad would have been furious if I even went to something like he went to. And, you know, maybe he was going there for the good of, you know, protecting businesses and stuff like that. But I wouldn't even have been allowed. And my mom would have been hurt and furious as well. Um, yeah. I think he he does not. I mean, you know, there's a group. There's there's a lot of there's, there's a group of whites that are very marginalized. And he may be part of that group. I'm not justifying what he did, but where they a lot of them own guns, um, a lot of them, um, you know, are not respectful of law enforcement, sort of like, you know, black inner city kids. It's the same thing. And parenting has a lot to do with it. And um, I just, uh, I don't, well, I, I guess. I, well, I mean, here's here's the thing, Mike. Look, I mean, I mean, here, here's the bottom line. Okay, if if he has sympathies tying himself to white supremacist groups, I mean, if he's got sympathies to that, and I'm his lawyer, now is the time I am telling him. Look, you're in the next couple months, I don't know that they have a trial date established, you are on trial to determine whether or not you are going to be, you know, whether you're going to be free on the streets for the next 10, 20, 30 years. I mean, it's maybe more. It's a very, very big deal. And I guess I'm sitting there saying, you know, if you know, we are going to try to make you as sympathetic a figure as we possibly can. How hard that's going to be, I, I don't know. Again, that's a whole different story. But the, the idea that, okay, you're going to go hang out in this public place and you're going to pose with other people making white supremacist signs and you're making these signs and, and, and maybe, maybe that's just a sign that shows that, you know, you really, you really like the Disney Channel or something like that. But that's now how people are going to interpret it. You're wearing this T-shirt with the free as blank on it, which um, clearly is your way of raising your middle finger at the criminal justice system. You're posing for these things. It's, you just you want to sit there. And I'm, if I'm the lawyer, I'm saying, my, my God, what are you trying to do? I mean, are you trying to guarantee that you get convicted? And look, I, I understand he's 18, but still at the time, you know, he's, he's 18. You, you'd think that there'd be some degree of responsibility. All I'm saying is for people who are sympathetic to Kyle Rittenhouse, if you are, he, he, he just made the job of getting himself acquitted a lot more difficult. He also guaranteed that in the event he is convicted, um, 
it's going to be tough to argue that there's any remorse for this when you do stuff like this. Now, the prosecutors are trying to get other conditions put on. Well, now we, we think that, you know, he shouldn't be allowed to go into bars and things like that. I don't know. If I'm the prosecutors, I, I might be sitting there thinking, bring this stuff on, because every time he does something like this, he makes himself less sympathetic. And as we started off here, where is the parents in this? I mean, that's the most mind-boggling thing about this whole story, that the mother apparently decided that it was okay to go to the bar with the kid under these circumstances. I have only one word to say, and that word is, wow. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right. It was a week ago yesterday that you had the insurrection at at the Capitol, and it's led to the unprecedented second impeachment of President Trump. Lots of finger pointing. How was it allowed to get that out of control? What's going to happen to the people who were involved in it? Were members of Congress secretly conspiring with with people to storm the Capitol? What what was the ultimate mission? Again, as I've said this repeatedly about these protests, and I said it about the the social justice protests that turned into riots at various places this summer. I always look at this stuff and I say, what are you what are you trying to accomplish when you, you, you burn? 50 buildings down in your community. What what are you trying to uh, accomplish? And it was, as I was watching the stuff at the Capitol the other day, I was thinking the same thing. It's like, what what are you trying to accomplish? Do you really think that by storming the Capitol and by uh, essentially trying to prevent government from operating that you're going to, I don't know, convince people to overturn the results of the election? I, I just, it, it's kind of this bizarre mindset that goes through the, the, the people who were, you know, actually engaged in the criminal behavior. But I want to talk about other people that were there. Now, here's the bottom line of this, and and this is a story that it's not getting, I think, some of the attention it deserves. Not everybody who went to Washington, D.C. to engage in, in the protests last week, not everybody stormed the Capitol. There were Thousands and thousands of people who came to Washington, D.C. because, rightly or wrongly, they believe that the election was fraudulent. They believe that there were all sorts of irregularities, and they believe that the election is being stolen from Donald Trump. All right? they, they believe that. And so they came to Washington, D.C. as part of a protest to advance that, just like people come to Washington, D.C. for all sorts of things and engage in protests. All right. Now, of the people that came to D.C., and, and you can say they're delusional, you can say they're wrong, but but okay, you can say that about a lot of protests. So you have people that come and they, they engage in the protest, they're, they're there, they're protesting, and you have a subset of those, not a large subset, but, but a subset, a couple thousand people who end up storming the Capitol, going up the steps, going through the doors, and you know engaging in all the mayhem, a couple people who end up attacking the Capitol police officers. All right, now I think, I would hope at least, we would all agree that the people who broke the law, the people who trespassed into the Capitol, the people who destroyed property, the people who attacked police, all those people, I, I think we would all agree, deserve to be 
apprehended and prosecuted. And the FBI is doing a, a, a massive nationwide search to identify people. And in, in many cases, it's not that hard because people were taking selfies of themselves and photographs and putting them up on social media. So uh, ultimately, a, a lot of the people if not all of the people who were engaged in actually the breaking and entering and things like that, they're going to be prosecuted, and they're going to have the consequences of of their activities, the criminal activities they engaged in. So they're going to have to pay that penalty, and there's going to be other penalties. For example, if you have somebody who was in law enforcement, and there were, I guess, a couple of them, who end up trespassing, you know, committing, breaking the law themselves, my guess is they're going to lose their jobs. And, and candidly, I, I don't have a lot of sympathy, you know, for that. If you're going to commit a crime, you have to understand that there are going to be ramifications beyond just the prosecution. All right. But here's where it gets tricky. What about the thousands and thousands of people who attended the rally? They, they were there. They heard the speeches, but they, they didn't break into the Capitol. You know, may, maybe they were part of the march. Maybe they were heading, you know, they, maybe they were walking from the eclipse down to Capitol Hill or whatever. Maybe they were doing the chanting. Maybe they, they still believe, rightly or wrongly, they still believe that the election was stolen, but they didn't engage in overt criminal activity. They, they didn't break into the Capitol. They didn't sit at Nancy Pelosi's desk. They just stood in the background. All right. They, they didn't obstruct police. They were there but they were not engaging in criminal activity. Or what about the people who were who were there? Maybe they were there at the initial part of the protest and didn't take the, the march. Now, I ask this because there's a series of stories, um, looking at one in the Chicago Tribune, one in USA Today, one in uh, the Washington Post, about employers who are now identifying people who were at the protest but not necessarily engaged in lawless behavior. Let, let's the, the people that broke into the Capitol and committed the crimes, let's take them out of the equation. But we're talking about people who, who were there. They were in Washington, D.C. They were part of the protest. They were part of the, the crowd, but they didn't engage in the criminal behavior. Well, there's a number of employers who, if they are able to identify their employees who were there, you know, participating, not in the criminal activity, just simply there, they're starting to fire them. And they're saying, look, this, it, you're, the mere fact that you would go to Washington, D.C., and you would be part of this group, that you would, you know, g- believe that the election was stolen, we don't want you as part of our organization, and we're going to fire you. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should you lose your job merely because you were in Washington, D.C. at this protest or because, you know, maybe you've been one of these, maybe you're at a local protest. And again, I'm not talking about criminal activity. You're just somebody who believes legitimately that there are questions about the integrity of the election. All right. Should that belief in and of itself, if you express it, should that be enough to allow employers to fire you? Because that is happening all across the country. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What's scary to that about that to me is is where do you draw the line? I mean, if if it's if you want to express an opinion that that is unpopular, you're doing it. You're doing it on your own time. Should that cost you your job? 
855-616-1620. And if so, where does this all end? All right, we discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As a general rule, you, you can in, in this country, you can be fired for any reason or no reason, as long as it's not an illegal reason. About half the states, including Wisconsin, have protections that say you cannot be fired for engaging in a, a legal activity. And so the, the argument would be, okay, well, you're, you're there, you're, you're part of this protest, you're expressing your First Amendment right. The argument the employers would make would be, look, we're firing people because, you know, so-and-so, he, he's identified, people know that he works for the Wagner Widget Company, and he's on Facebook, and he's at that protest, and people are going to look at him, and they're going to associate that protester with the Wagner Widget Company, and they might not call us up and do business. All right, if that's the argument, should he lose his job? 855-616-1620. I'm just saying it, this is, it's a very dangerous time in America for this because where do you, in fact, draw, draw the line? And again, this isn't, this isn't defending the people that were engaged in the criminal activity. That's a whole different story. But what about the people who were there protesting? What about the people... I don't know. Could you make the same argument that, you know, you, you show up, hey, I was at those pro- protests in, in Madison for, you know, protests against police brutality, or I was, you know, part of the protest movement in, in Wauwatosa, or I was part of the protest movement in Kenosha. I wasn't engaged in any criminal activity. I went home at the curfew. All right, should should employers be able to fire people? Because, well, you know, by, by participating in that protest, you alienated a certain part of, of the audience, because there's some people who agreed, there's some people who didn't agree. Where do you draw the line? Let's start with Steve in Milwaukee. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hey, how you doing? Hi, Steve. Um, hi. You know, listening to this, I personally, I think employers should should not be able to fire somebody just for going to do a protest, because if they're not engaged in anything illegal, um, as you just said, that takes that should eliminate their their right to uh, fire that person. Now, the other thing is, a lot of these people went, they truly believed in what they believed in, and they went peacefully and simply exercised their, their own rights to be able to go to Washington to protest or Madison or anywhere else to protest. And if you're doing things completely legal and abiding by the laws and being respectful and doing all the things you should be doing, simply exercising your right as a citizen, um, for employers to, to fire that person is totally wrong because you committed no crime, you haven't done anything illegal, so employers are just drawing the line and all they're doing is somehow wiping out even even more working people out of the population. I mean, I get it. I retired from, from a major company. Um, won't say which one here. It's out in Waukesha after 34 years, and they would tell us things like, you know, you can't go out and you can't be involved in illegal activities or go sure. out uh, on, on company time wearing your company shirt, taking, I was an instructor, take your class to the tavern and buy them drinks all night. I get that. That's another story. But if these people simply took time off of work the way they should, go to go and exercise their right to protest, mm-hmm. you know, they did what they, what they should be able to do and allowed to do as an American citizen. So that's 
Thanks for calling. Well, I mean, it, it will. See, I mean, and I try to balance this out, and I, I think you got to look at it from both sides. I mean, go go back to the Act Ten protests ten years ago, and as I've said, I think they were reminiscent. They're not identical. Somebody was. I sent out this tweet when it was first happening, saying it's reminiscent. Oh, oh, look that that tweet's not going to age for it. Well, no, I, I continue to believe it, it's certainly not identical. Act Ten ten years ago did not result in any loss of life. There's no question about that. So it, it's not what happened last Wednesday is not identical to. Act 10. But, you know, the idea of people storming a state capitol with the idea of trying to paralyze government from its operations. Yeah, I, I think I think a lot of the stuff that happened 10 years ago was reminiscent. It did not again no loss of life. And the destruction was not as bad dollar wise. But but yes, it was the same sort of thing. I think, yeah, it Reminiscent. That's why I use that particular word. But so the question would be, okay, for everybody who stormed the state capitol 10 years ago, should should they have been fired? Should they have lost their job just through the act of protesting? Um, And again, the people who stormed into the capitol, who committed the crimes, well, that's a whole different story. Okay, let's talk to Connie in Portage. Connie, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. Um little upset over that because i believe birds of a feather you can't tell me those people didn't know what was going to happen when everybody else did i mean this has been going on for how long and they don't realize how lucky we are in this country it's still the greatest country there is and i i'm sorry but i would fire them because they knew exactly what they were getting into well wait don't wait so well no well okay well let's let's work on this so you let's say you've got 20,000 I, I don't know what the numbers were but let's let's say there's let's say there's 10,000 people that have come to Washington DC to engage in in the protest because they legitimately believe rightly or wrongly that the election was stolen of that 10,000 you have 1,000 or 2,000 whatever that number is who decide that they're going to act out in a violent fashion they leave they engage in the march they break in and they do that you you think those other 8,000 are just as liable cuz they were there yeah, I sort of do. I'm sorry, but I'm old school, birds of a feather, and, and I know darn well that they knew exactly what was going to happen. So oh. I'm maybe a little hardcore, hmm. but I, I really think that they need to be fired. Oh, okay, so all right, then let me ask you the next question. So the, the Kenosha riots last summer, you have... I don't we'll use the same thing. You got 10,000 people that show up as part of the protest. And then what happens is you have 500 who spin off, start burning the buildings, throwing stuff at the National Guard's people, etc. Would you say to the other 9,500 people that were there that they too should lose their jobs because they're just as complicit as the 500 people who were burning stuff down and throwing uh, bricks at the cops? I think that's a little different. Strictly because it wasn't as, uh, I mean, it was everywhere what they were going to do. Everybody was getting their groups there. I'm, I'm sorry, we 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 lost your we lost your cell phone there, Connie. I did not I did not touch the button. I I don't know. I mean, is is it is it in fact different now? I guess. I, I mean, there are. I don't know any. I do not personally know anybody that went to the protest. I I, I don't. But I, I'm, I know that there's a lot of people who went to the protest who were appalled 
at the 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 violence that was there. I guess it, it just bothers me. I guess to lump to say we're going to lump in everybody. So you you have this, this large group, and the idea being, and, unless you can prove to me that. However many people were there, they all knew that this was the ultimate plan, because I don't think that's the case. Now, I'm not saying that some people didn't plan violence and, and orchestrate this, but I mean, okay, so you're there, you're expressing your right, you're engaging in you know, your, your ability to protest, right or wrong on the issue, and then all of a sudden you get a bunch of other uh, people who decide to take it in a very dark fashion, and you know, Connie thinks, okay, everybody gets lumped in together. I, if you want to make that argument, that's fine. But then, then don't we have to make that argument for all the other examples of protests, which then morphed into violence and say, okay, everybody that was there is, is treated the same way. I just don't think that that's, I don't think that that's right. And I guess I think it's kind of dangerous because if that's going to be the standard, it pretty much says, all right, if you're going to attend a protest march and a handful of people decide that they're going to engage in a criminal or antisocial behavior, everybody's going to be subject to being fired or disciplined or or whatever. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Mike on the northwest side. Hi, Mike. You're on WTMJ. Hi. Good afternoon, Jeff. What do you think? Uh, my, thoughts are that, my thoughts are that they should not be fired. Uh, the, employer, the employer should tell people, and I'm going to, uh, make this a uh, case that if you're in the company and you're in customer service or sales or public relations, the employer should tell you, we are not standing by this or this or that. We're neutral or we're for this or against this. If you're neutral, fine. Then the employee should stay out of this and just be neutral and stay out of the protests and everything else. And if they're, if they're one way or the other, it's up to the employee. But, uh, uh, I've been in sales most of my life, and the best way to be is neutral uh, because you don't know which way the customer is going to go, and you just say, if you're just for the business. But if you're, like, in the back line, in the assembly line, and you get fired for just being in a protest, that's wrong. But if you're in the front line, the employer should tell you what they stand for, what they want you to do, and if you disobey that, then you might be able to get fired. But otherwise, uh, I think that... To fire them would be wrong. Yeah, thank. Well, it, it for people like I say for people who are are in Wisconsin was if anybody were to be fired for simply attending the the protest, and that's that's where I'm cutting off the line. Attending the protest, as far as as opposed to engaging in what we would all agree would be the criminal acts, it, it's. It's it's really dicey because, like I say, you have in Wisconsin and about half the states, you are protected for engaging in lawful activity. You know, you you can't fire somebody for smoking on their own time, for example. You know, you might have a no smoking policy, but you can't fire somebody for smoking on their own time. Similarly, I think you know if you're going to try to uh, limit political speech, it's it's going to be very, very dicey. Now, I don't know how often that's going to happen. And right now, most of the employers are concentrating on the employees who was who were engaged in the improper behavior. But I'm wondering whether this is going to be the new witch hunt. And I'm wondering, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that went to Washington because they wanted to express their displeasure with what they perceive to be the election process. Now, again, if you're a regular listener to the program, you know that I don't think the election was stolen. I know some of you disagree with me on that. But going to Washington to express your opinion and say, hey, I I think this election was stolen, seems to me that should be constitutionally protected. Now, if you cross the line, that's a different story. 
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. What were they thinking? I'm referring to the story that's out about some Wisconsin hospitals who've taken a sort of interesting approach as to who gets the vaccines. Now, as we've talked about for the last couple months, in my opinion, the the way out of the pandemic that we're going through right now is, is to get as many people as possible vaccinated. I mean, it's, you're going to have to get that herd immunity. It's either going to be people who've gotten COVID, who have recovered and have the antibodies, and it's going to be people who've been vaccinated. And, and once you get to a certain critical mass, we will be able to start getting back to normal. The problem now is that there's not enough vaccine to, to go around. And that's why people are making very tough choices. We talked yesterday about the, the original guidance was because you need two doses. The original dose guidance was, okay, we're going to hold back half of the available supply so we can guarantee that the people who got it are going to be able to get that second dose. Joe Biden doesn't want to do it. Biden is saying, oh, I, I want to get as many people vaccinated as possible right away, and then we're going to hope that we can ramp up production to get those people that second round of vaccinations within three or four or five weeks. Hope it works. There, there is a risk. There's a huge risk to that. And But but again, hope, hope it works, and time will tell whether that's the right strategy. But right now, we are prioritizing who gets the vaccines. And, you know, in Wisconsin, there's some Odd choices. For example, you know, if you're a prison inmate, you are you're you're ahead of a lot of other people in getting the vaccine. But I think we would all agree with some of the initial decisions. You go to the people who are the most vulnerable. Um, we go to frontline medical workers, you know, and they they get in line for the vaccines. You go to people who are in nursing homes, for example, because your know, nursing homes have been one of these areas where you've had not only huge outbreaks of COVID, but also really bad results when um, people do, in fact, get sick. So that's been the initial priority. Now we're arguing about, okay, should it be people who are 70? Should it be people who are 60? Should it be, you know, who, who gets it next? But I think we would all agree that frontline medical care workers should get it. Number one, so that they don't get sick, so they're able to keep coming into work and providing, you know, the medical treatment that people who do get sick are going to need. And, and number two, so they don't pass this on, um, being, for example, asymptomatic, so they don't pass it on to somebody else who's in the hospital. Okay, so nobody, I think, really disagrees with frontline workers getting this. All right, well, here's the story if you haven't seen this. So a lot of the vaccines go to, for example, hospitals, and the hospitals set up appointments they say okay you know because of you're you're a nurse for example because you're a nurse you qualify for this sign up make an appointment all right all right good nobody argues about that that, that that's happening all right so what's happened though is that the hospitals have extra vaccines either because people who signed up didn't show or because that the people who were in this first round of qualifying for this stuff, um, some people maybe made the decision that they weren't going to get vaccinated. So you have the, the doctors, you have the, the nurses, the people who are dealing with patients, they, they for whatever reason, they don't show up or whatever. So the hospitals have the, these extra doses that are there. So what do you do with them? Well, as it turns out, at least one hospital system decided to open up vaccine appointments to all employees. 
at other health systems, employees who have nothing to do with patients or providing health care have also been able to get the vaccine. So if you're an administrator, if you're a public relations specialist, if you're the 30-year-old guy who works in the IT department, who actually might even still be working remotely at home, <laughs> you you could get it. And the government and a lot of other people are now raising eyebrows at this. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, the, the, one of the hospitals, it, it's Aurora, that, that acknowledge that they are in fact doing this. They say, well... <clears throat> We expect a continued increase in our staffing needs, so vaccinating more of our team will allow us to redeploy individuals as needed to support expanded vaccine clinics for patients and community members, which doesn't answer the question about, yeah, really, is the 30-year-old IT guy who's been working at home or the hospital administrator who doesn't deal with patients at all, you really mean that you're going to send them to some sort of mobile triage area? Give me a break. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think th- this whole idea of uh, of jumping the line, and, you know, you're, you're seeing this in different contexts. Florida, for example, uh, Florida is giving the vaccine to anybody 65 and older. So what you have is a lot of snowbirds that are going down to Florida, and they're kind of jumping in line. They're, they're hey, we're, we're 66 years old. You know, we want, the, we want the vaccine, and they're getting it. I guess I just think if we're going to get a handle on this, you've got to prioritize it. And it's got to go to the people who need it the most, who are the most vulnerable, and the idea, I mean, look, I, I have no problem, like I say, with doctors and nurses getting this. I have no problem with the people that are dealing with the patients getting it. But if you're telling me that you've got some 30-year-old IT guy that's working remotely, that that guy is going to go ahead of the line, ahead of, I don't know, a 68-year-old person with diabetes, I'm telling you that something's wrong there, and the hospitals that are making this decision need to rethink it, and they need to figure out ways to redistribute the vaccines to make sure it's going to the people who need it the most. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, I guess it's just... It's one of these things where it seems to me that you've got some of these medical facilities that are clearly playing fast and loose with the rules. Yes, we we want to get we want to get the frontline medical workers. We want to get them vaccinated. Everybody respects that, but that doesn't mean that the person that's working, you know, sending out the bills that really has no contact at all with those frontline medical people. That doesn't mean that they should jump in line. Does it? 855-616-1620. We discuss. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, a friend of mine who's an administrative assistant at one of the local hospital systems received her vaccine. She has been and still is working from home. I think it's flat out wrong. I have a text from another one of our listeners who says, please don't mention my name. I'm a stay-at-home medical coder. I got it that way that you're describing. Um, and it's not just Aurora, which is the one mentioned in the in the uh, in the paper. All right. So again, these these hospitals have have more than they know what to do with. Apparently, they they, 
they vaccinate all the frontline folks. Okay, that that's good. And then then what they decide to do is vaccinate others. Now, if you want to argue that, well, it's better than, than throwing it out. Yeah, yes, it, it's better than throwing it out. And the shelf life on some of this stuff is short. But But doesn't that then say, okay, you've got to have a better plan for this, and you shouldn't be taking the stuff out of the freezer or whatever. You shouldn't be puncturing it until you know how many doses that you're going to have to be giving out. To the point, if it's really gotten to the point where, gee, we, we've got so much of this stuff that's going bad that we, we have to call up our at-home medical coders and give them a chance to jump the line effectively, to jump the line, that tells me there's a real problem with what the rollout is going to be. Okay, let's start with um Stacy in Waukesha. Hi, Stacy. Hi, Jeff. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. Um, I am a home hospice worker and um, have the, um, unfortunately, we're unable to get the vaccine because I work for a national organization, but we're a small local office. Right. So it's difficult because we're, we're frontline workers and we can't get the vaccine. So it's really, this is really troublesome to me that, that other people are able to. Um, faster than we are, and unfortunately, they can't come up with a plan for how we can get it because well, we're kind of in this like catch twenty two situation. Well, well, right, and it, it, again, it, it seems to me. Look, I, I understand if you're if the argument is okay, you've got this vaccine, it's going to go bad, so we have to track down the the stay-at-home 32-year-old medical coder and and give them a chance to get it. If if, if the alternative is either we give it to that person or we throw it out, okay, you give it to that person. But but there there has to be a middle ground on this, including, okay, if you know you've got this stuff, after you've administered it to all your frontline people, then what it seems to me you got to do is say, okay, let's... Let's reach out to people like you, Stacy, or you know, again to vulnerable right. populations, and, and let's let's figure out how to give it to you guys instead of exploiting what seems to me to be, I, I guess, a loophole. Being well, we we've got it, so we're all gonna we're gonna keep it in house. That just strikes me as being wrong. Yeah, I, I definitely, honestly, I'm gonna reach out to our local contacts and different healthcare organizations and see if there's maybe there's other hospitals that have an access, and we would be able to, yeah. you know, um, get you know the, the 15 or so of us in there to be able to get that vaccination because that that's really, like I said, that's really hurts my heart just hearing that. Well, that's troubling. Well, right, no, th- thanks. All right, right, put us on the list. I I, I have a, a text. I, I, Okay, this is my short-term memory loss. I forget if I read it, but somebody was saying that they work at this hospital, and one of the supervisors was, was going around saying, "Hey, okay, any, anybody else here? We you know, want, want to get vaccinated, you know, even though they're not in the priority because you know we, we've got some of this stuff left over." Well, okay, there, there's got to be a better way of of doing that, namely getting it to the people that need it. Now, look, in a perfect world, I, I understand everybody would get it, but we're not in a perfect world right now. We've got to figure out how to prioritize. And I guess if I was in a situation where I had a, uh, I, I had a, um, I don't know, a 72-year-old parent with underlying health conditions who wasn't in a nursing home, and I was finding out that, uh, gee, my mom's getting pushed behind the 30-year-old, you know, uh, medical coder who works at home. Yeah, I, I'd be irritated. It would be kind of like, okay, can't we figure out a way? Maybe the, the, the doctors that, that treat mom, you know, maybe they should get the notification and maybe say, hey, you know, we've got this window here. If you can come in or you can get mom in in the next five hours or whatever, you know, to, to get inoculated, we're, we're, this is where our priority is going to be. 
Let's talk to Leanne in Milwaukee. Leanne, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. I I agree that it, the shot should be given to anyone, you know, if, instead of going to waste. But I think it was organized wrong. They should have lists like the last caller just stated. They should have lists of organizations and that that work with people and that that could use it more than the IT guy sitting at home. Yeah. But I would hate to see any of those shots go to waste. No, I, and I and I don't disagree with that, right? You you don't want to throw you don't want to let the stuff go bad so that you have to throw it out. But given how valuable this is and how in demand this is, I, I don't know, you would think that you would you would have a plan. Okay, before we start taking this stuff out of the, the freezer, we, we know how many shots we're going to distribute or or, or you know, you, you have <laughs> You know, or, or you have the backup plan that okay, some people don't show up, so we've got another, we, we've got an extra twenty or thirty or whatever that is. Let let's let's have that call list. Get people that are on the waiting list. Get them in. That that I guess that's my point too. It just shows how poorly organized the dispar- distribution of the shot was. Right. Right. Exactly. No. Thank. Right. No. 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 Thanks. Thanks for calling. And again, we're and, and it's all about the the priorities. And I, I think what what's shocking a lot of people is that everybody everybody I think signs on that yes, the frontline hospital workers, the nurses, the doctors, they, they they've got to get it. They've got to go right to the front of the line along with the people in the nursing homes, etc. I think this story is kind of stunning because nobody envisioned that this would, whether you want to say it's a loophole that's being exploited or whatever, that, that this would end up trickling down to, hey, we're going to send out a company-wide email. We've got this extra stuff. You know, if you want to come in, you, 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 can, you can get it. There's got to be a better way, and including, you know, maybe, maybe it's one of those things like, I don't know, it's, if, if I call up my, my dentist, for example, and I've got a tooth problem, and they say, well, we can't get you in till, till Tuesday, uh, but, but here's what we'll do. You know, we'll, we'll put you on the list. If we get a cancellation, we'll, we'll call you in and give you a short notice to come in. And I say, hey, that, that's great. You, you would think that the hospitals would be able to do that to assure that the people who are going to get the stuff are the ones who need it the most. That's my only point. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Two final texts to kind of wrap up this conversation. Jeff, this is infuriating. My dad is 94 and is in assisted living. His facility has no idea when they are going to get it for residents. Okay, and and yet then you hear, oh, the 30-year-old guy who's the medical coder who's been working at home for nine months because he works for the medical facility, he gets it ahead of the 94-year-old guy in the assisted living thing. Uh, It's just... It it cannot or it shouldn't be that way. Um, Jeff, I have an acquaintance who works for one of the major hospital facilities. Um, he processes, met, it's a she, she processes medical claims at home. She is getting the vaccine next week. Apparently, some of the large medical associations have some pull. Now, let's stop for a second and think about that. So here you have somebody who isn't one of the frontline health providers. She processes medical claims. She works at home, and she has an appointment because of her because she works for the medical facility. She's going to get the vaccine next week. So th- this isn't a situation of gee, we, we've opened these vials; it's going to go bad and, unless we we find somebody to give it to in five hours. This is somebody who is skipping and and 
maybe the, it's legitimate, but they're skipping in line and they've got an appointment for next week. You mean to tell me the hospital service, if they've got enough of this active vac- extra vaccine before they start giving it to their 30 some year old working at home employees who have nothing to do with the actual delivery of medical services, you mean to tell me that they couldn't figure out a way to take those that vaccine and get it distributed, say, to the assisted living facility where the other texter's 94-year-old dad lives? I mean, really? And and so this idea that, well, it's only this emergency thing and it's only a handful of shots and, and we've got, you know, two people that didn't show up and the question is either, you know, vaccinate somebody else or throw the things away. I understand. In that scenario, better to vaccinate somebody else. But that's that's not... That's not at least what some of these situations are. And, um, I don't know, it, it's just, it's wrong. I guess that's the only way I can say it. It's wrong. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I have a feeling that um, last week we would have been spending more time discussing the Jacob Blake decision, the, the decision not to issue criminal charges against the Kenosha police officer who shot him multiple times. We would have been spending more time talking about that, except that it came out immediately before all the chaos and the rioting and the mob violence at the Capitol. Uh, that watched the Capitol in Washington, D.C., and then the impeachment of President Trump, which drove the, the Jacob Blake stuff into the at least the back pages as far as discussion. Well, Jacob Blake, who is out of the hospital now, decided to give an interview with Good Morning America's Michael Strahan. And the interview aired this morning. We've been playing certain clips of this. Um, Blake essentially says uh, that... But he really he takes, I don't think, any responsibility for for what happened. Um, He says he was with his children and their mother that the day of the shooting celebrating his son's birthday. Um, He said that while he's he's there, the mother of his children begins arguing with a neighbor. His story is he becomes concerned and he decides to leave with the, the kids. Now, we all know that the mother of the children calls 911 saying that that Blake was leaving with her car and with the children. And she says that she's concerned. She thinks that he's going to crash. Now, so they they get the call. You've got the police that are out there. They get this 911 call. As they are going there, they know that Blake has a felony warrant against him, an arrest warrant that's outstanding related to another incident with the woman. So they know they've got a felony arrest warrant for him. They, They get onto the scene. Blake is out there at the time. Now, he says, at the time I'm walking out, I hadn't done anything, so I didn't think that they were there for me. I didn't think that they're there for me. The officer told investigators that he spoke briefly to Blake. In the interview with Good Morning America, Blake said the police did not speak to him, but grabbed his arm. He claimed he struggled with police because I resisted getting beat on. I didn't want to be the next George Floyd. So in essence, his story is kind of like, uh, imagine my surprise. I'm walking out of this house and these police officers just suddenly show up and I have no idea why they're they're doing what they're doing. Now, we also know that the officers tased him. And they, they tased him not once, but I believe twice. And it, it didn't it didn't stop him. Um, he pulled the taser probes out. 
walking towards the vehicle. Um, his, you know, he, according to the investigation, you know, he had a, he had a knife in his hand. His story is, um, well, I, the guy starts shooting me. I couldn't believe it. I kind of sat down in the car. I thought my babies are right here, my babies. So after the officer stopped shooting me, I said, Daddy loves you, you know, no matter what. I thought it was going to be the last thing I ever said. He says, thank God that it was not. His concern was that I was going to die in front of my children. That's why I kind of I went limp during the shooting. But in essence, his story is disputing the police narrative. He had no idea why they, they showed up. They didn't talk to him. They didn't say anything to him. They just started grabbing him all of a sudden. And so he decided he was not going to be the next George Floyd. So he wanted to fight back. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, no criminal charges. We walked through that extensively. The district attorney and the investigator and the State Department of Justice who did the investigation, they apparently all conclude that there was no basis for bringing criminal charges in this particular case. That doesn't mean that the procedures were necessarily right. Jacob Blake says, no, I, I just I didn't engage with these people at all. I had no idea why they were trying to do this to me. The movement is afoot now. The family of Jacob Blake is calling for the police officer to be sacked, to be fired. The standard, of course, is a lot less than whether or not you can prove uh, guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. All right, now that we have heard a portion of Jacob Blake's story, his explanation, his version uh, of what happened, hey, he was he was just he was just there. He didn't know why these cops showed up. They didn't talk to him at all. All right, now that we know his version of this, all right, should should the officer be fired? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Police officer shoots him close range seven times. He is now paralyzed. Awful result. All right, does the officer deserve to lose his job? Would that be justice? We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, let's start with some uh let's start with a text before we go to the phones. Jeff, if you believe Blake's story, I have a bridge to sell you. Jeff, um I believe he's not telling the whole truth, and I think that there's in these interviews are an attempted money grab. The officer shouldn't be fired. Plain and simple, respect officers and things like this don't um, have to, you know, happen. Jeff, any chance do you think that Blake might not be telling the truth? Well, that's it. Jeff, the Blake story is tragic. However, there's no way he didn't know the police were there for him and that an outstanding warrant was pending. The police followed protocol, and I believe the same outcome would have happened if another person of a different race acted in the way that he did. Jeff, if Jacob Blake would have cooperated and complied, he wouldn't have been shot. He would have had his day in court for the warrants, and Kenosha would have been spared all the violence, um, etc. Let's see. Um, Jeff, I don't feel justice would be served by firing the officer involved. Being a police officer is a dangerous job. The situation could have ended very differently if Jacob Blake didn't have an outstanding warrant. Well, also, what what I have trouble, and, and by the way, I like Good Morning America. Good Morning America is the show that, that I I watch, and, I, and that's even with George Stephanopoulos, and I like Michael Strahan. 
uh, th- this interview, it's not like he pushed him, though, on things. And I guess one of the big questions that I have is, if the guy's story is, I have no idea why we're there, we're there and they didn't engage me in any of this stuff, they tased him twice, and he didn't stop. They, they, if, if he would have simply complied, instead of trying to walk away from the police officers, none of this happens. We don't get to the point of, hey, you know, did, did he reach for his knife? Was there the concern that he was going to, like, stab at somebody? We, we don't get to the question of deadly force in the first place if, if he would have complied with the police. And, and candidly, watching that videotape and, and watching the guy get tased not once but twice – and for him to come back and say, well, I had no idea why they were doing this. I had no idea why they were out for me. I mean, really? I mean, at some point in time, you know, you, you know you've got a felony warrant out for you. You know that there's been this altercation involving your the mother of your children. Don't know if he knew that they called, she had called 911 or not. But you know the cops are looking for you. The cops show up. You, you, you end up getting tased twice and and still trying to get in your car and from the perspective and we talked about this last week when the subject came up i from the, from the perspective of the police how do you 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 can't let the guy drive away i mean can you can you just imagine the story if the police had allowed him to just kind of walk away get in the car and drive away with those kids in the car and, and then who then what do you end up with with a high speed chase i mean who knows where this whole thing goes the whole thing could have been avoided had mr blake simply complied with the police officers in the first place 8556161620 sarah in madison sarah good afternoon Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I know this may not be popular view with some, but um, I've actually discussed this with my husband a couple of times, and I figured it would come up. I call this, this is a case where everybody finds God when they're in prison. Um, Mr. Blake's got a whole different attitude on things with his, gee, I don't know what happened, why this all happened. Mm-hmm. Um, he clearly had done something to, for the girlfriend to call the police on him. He was tased twice, and... He had a felony warrant out for him. He, they were, I, and I believe you said this, that sometimes in life you are where you are because of the choices you had made. He's made choices in his life that led to all of this. It wouldn't have happened if the girlfriend, if he hadn't done something to cause the girlfriend to call the police on him. None of this would have happened. Maybe he ought to be pointing the finger at her. He put those kids at risk when he started doing what he was doing. Um, and the officers, I mean, it, it could have ended a whole lot more horribly. There could be dead children involved in a car accident or something had had the police let him well take off and, I, I you know and also right sarah thing. it's real easy to, mon- to monday morning quarterback stuff and, and that's not to say that the police are are always right i mean the, the george floyd i think is an indication of, of how especially the, the one police officer with the guy in the knee on his neck about how that's just you, you have somebody that was clearly very very wrong but in this case I'm, I'm looking at what the police officer knew at the time. And, you know, for Jacob Blake to suggest, well, we didn't engage him at all. I, I just thought they were there to essentially turn me into the next George Floyd. I, I just I guess I find it difficult to believe that, given all the stuff that we knew and that we know. Exactly. It, it's it, it's a it, it's sad how it turned out for him. Yeah. But 
I, I highly doubt that the police just showed up and started tasing him without any conversation whatsoever. Well, well, right. It, th- th- thanks for calling. It, right. It, thanks for. I mean, it gets, it, it's right. It's and it's right. It's just all out of the clear blue. All of a sudden, you know, yes, they, they show up and they start pulling out the taser. And and beyond that, okay. What what is a rational response to that? All right, the first time you know a police officer tries to restrain you, and the police officer says stop, and then after the first tasing, I don't know what's the normal response. If you really don't understand why they're there and why they've tased you, isn't it simply to turn around and say, "What's going on here? Why did you just do that to me? I have no idea. All I'm doing is I'm leaving with my son because the mother of my child got into a fight with a neighbor or something like that." I'm not even sure that story makes any sense. But 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 regardless. I, I look at this and the idea that, well, there was no interaction at all. They just showed up. I, I, I have trouble believing that. Now, that might make a compelling narrative if you want to believe that the cops are bad and that you want to believe that all the interactions they have with people um, are, are designed, especially with persons of color, are, are designed to, I, I don't know, result in deaths and injuries. If that's what you want to believe, maybe that narrative plays into it. I'm just saying it doesn't make any sense to me. Sean in Milwaukee. Hi, Sean. You're on WTMJ. Hey, how you doing today? Thanks Good. for taking my call. What do you think? First time caller. Thanks for joining hey, me. Hey, as an African-American, <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm probably going to get a lot of flack for this. No, but, no, um, no, no. We have discussions I'm, on this I'm, show. I'm, Give me your pers- <laughs> Tell me what you think. Well, well, I've seen cops uh, kill black people for less, and and what's going on in, in in America right now? You have to be conscious of what's uh, like the situation that's at hand. And he should have, you know, he was told multiple times to stop, to stop, you know. And and the guns are drawn. It's like the game's over. You know, I've been in situations where I've been stopped by cops, and you know, it was some butthead cops and. You know, I just let my yes be a yes, my no be a no, and mm-hmm. he, I was in I was in a situation where they were kind of provoking me, but I kept my cool, you know, and I was I was gone. Not saying every situation is like that, but mm-hmm. you know, it's you didn't you know, want to make it worse. In that situation, you, you, you did not yeah, you want to make win, it worse. So. Yeah, yeah, I'm not saying the cops should have shot him or anything, but dude, you, you know, you're a black man in this country, man. You know, if things could. You know, you know what's going on. So you, you got to kind of chill out and just, you know, have your day in court. You know, you're not going to win. The guns are drawn on you. Right. You know? well, and especially so, when, especially when you're a guy that, that's got uh, it knows he's got a felony warrant that's outstanding for him. And apparently it's the, the mom of the, the mother of your children that, that's called the cops on you. you right. It's. Yeah, I mean, right. And see, I guess that's the thing, right? If you just see, and that's the frustrating thing. If and and to me, it's 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 really not a matter of race. I, I say this to everybody: if if you're dealing with the police and you think the cops are wrong, all right. What you do is just exactly like you were saying, Sean. You say yes, sir. You say no, sir. You're going to have a chance. If, if the cops are wrong, you're going to have a you're going to have a chance to vindicate yourself. If you escalate the situation, if you end up making it worse, bad stuff is going to happen. And sometimes that stuff is so bad that you can't go back and undo it. In this case, the man's paralyzed. That's a terrible thing. But, but right. And yeah. I, I got I got I got family, you know, and friends in law enforcement, and they say, yeah, it's it's some it's some butthead cops out there. Sure. But I tell you what, if if you don't provoke, you know, if you just kind of don't buy into it or. Hey, why am I pulled over? Nobody likes to get pulled over. If you just kind of keep your cool, you know, you might have a better chance. But don't 
don't go into a situation where, you know, they have the upper hand. You're not going to win. You know, just kind of keep your cool, man, and, and you know, you, you, you probably have a better outcome. Sean, thanks for uh, calling. You call back sometime, anytime you want, okay? Thanks for listening. Okay, thank you. All right. Well, no, 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 and it, and, and again, and, and I guess, you know, I appreciate Sean's perspective as, as a black man, and, but that, that's, that's good advice to anybody. I, I mean, I, that, that, that it's good advice to anybody, which is, you, you don't, if you just comply, and I, and I say that, I, I say that this is the recovering lawyer man coming out, you just, you, you comply. Police make mistakes. They are not infallible. And yeah, I mean, it, it, Sean is right. There, there are some. I think, I think most cops um, do a really good job and are professional. Are there some cops that are buttheads or having a bad day or whatever? Absolutely, abs, absolutely. There's no question about it. And and if you happen to run into somebody one of those days that they're having a bad day, okay, it, you you don't need to make matters worse. And that's like I always say, you do what they tell you. You know, here, it, it, you know, show, give me your license. You know, give, give me the insurance card. Show me your registration, whatever. And, and I understand that there's times that police are going to cop attitudes and things like that. All I'm saying is that the, the best way to handle it is to recognize that, all right, if I, if I escalate the scene now, if, if I start arguing, if I don't comply, if I resist, I'm just going to make things worse. Better thing to do is just okay. Let's go through the process, whatever, and then you're going to have opportunities. You know whether it's you know you get your lawyer, and if it turns out the police officer's wrong, you, you, you the judge dismisses your case. Maybe you got a lawsuit, something like that. But when you escalate the matters, you're almost always, like Sean was saying, going to lose. And in this particular case, I, I guess again, I, I look at. I look at this, and if the story is they didn't talk to me at all, they didn't tell me anything, they didn't say anything to me, I, I just I just figured all of a sudden they're going to start beating on me. I have a difficult time believing that. I, I just I do. I, I think clearly what happened is you had a guy who was was in a volatile situation. Who knows what had gone on between him and the mother of his children, you know, but he's he's walking out. He's got the kids in, in the car. He's going to take her car. It was her car or her rental car or whatever, by the way. And and he knows he's got a felony warrant out against him. I think objectively that's probably true. And, and he didn't want to go to jail. He, he just, I, I think that's what happened. He just didn't want to deal with this. I don't want to go to jail. I'm having a bad day. Just let me go. That That's and and the police, of course, can't do that. They're just not. That's, that you can't let the guy drive off. That's just the reality of it. And so the situation escalates, and it escalates, and then you, you have these really, really bad results. And it is a tragic result. It 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 is. You know, I'm getting some people saying, "Well, if if there weren't the difference in in races, this would not have happened." I, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess that that's easy to say. But I mean, show me a similar example where you have. Uh, of, for example, either a, a black police officer and a black defendant or a white police officer and a white defendant where you have the identical set of circumstances, somebody who's got the outstanding warrant, who's been tased a couple times, who's got the knife, who's refusing to comply. All, all right. Do you think if the guy was white, they would have really let him drive off? Hmm. All right. Back with lots more in just a few minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Crew producing the show today and always. Do you follow the NBA at all? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Okay, so yesterday the big news was James Harden, 
who is the perennial leading scorer in the NBA, plays for Houston. He's the guy for people who might not be familiar. He's a big, bushy beard. That's his, that's his kind of his signature thing. He's, he's sort of a head case and has been unhappy in Houston for a while because he doesn't think Houston's good enough. And so he's been trying to force a trade. So what they were able to do is, is Houston, which is, as a team has become a complete trade wreck. They trade, um, Harden to the new to the Brooklyn Nets. I want to say the New York Nets, the Brooklyn Nets, um, and the Brooklyn Nets already have Kevin Durant, who is by all stretch of the imagination, a, a, everybody says he's a great guy and also a great player, probably towards the end of his career, but a great player. And Kyrie Irving, who is an absolute total head case, who's been out for the last several games because of personal reasons or whatever. But these are. Kevin Durant is a scorer. He's used to having the ball and scoring. And Kyrie Irving is a guy who's used to having the ball and scoring. And James Harden is a guy who's going to take dozens and dozens of shots a game. So the three of them are, are now they're going to be sort of a super team on the Nets. And a lot of people are looking at that and saying, this just can't work. I mean, they're all very talented players, but you you will they be able to mesh? So will they be able to mesh? I think they'll be able to make it work. I don't see how Kyrie, having Kyrie Irving, James Harden, and Kevin Durant on the floor at one time works for them. But having like Harden and Durant, I think those are the two. I think that's the priority rather than having Durant and Irving on the floor. So I think once Harden comes off the floor, Irving goes on, and there isn't really too much of a difference. Okay, but these are all guys that are used to being the focal point of their team. James Harden is used to being the star. He's the guy that's got to have the ball all the time. And Irving is sort of the same way. And I think Durant is a better team player. But but still, that, that, that's the idea. How how are they how are they happy if every one of them wants to be Giannis? When Giannis is on the floor, Giannis is the focus of the team. All three of them want to be that. Yeah, I think I think it's well established that this is Kevin Durant's team 100% more than anybody else and I think Harden has to has to know that going in. I mean, it was sort of their this I've been reading this whole reunion for them because they used to play together at OKC was was their idea, Kevin Durant and James Harden together from this past summer. So he had he Harden has to know that this is Kevin Durant's team above all things. But yeah, I'm I'm more curious on the chemistry between Kyrie Irving and James Harden because I think their play styles are pretty similar and they can mesh. That play style can mesh with Durant pretty well, but having them at the floor on the floor at the same time, all three, I, I don't see how it necessarily works. Okay, well, I, I I typically leave the the basketball analysis to the you know to our to our teammates and stuff down the hall on ESPN, but I. Um this is one where I guess you could make the argument that it, it never hurts to have really, really talented players. But in this case, uh, the Nets, they, they traded four first round picks Four, I mean, they've really they have. This says that they are all in. They have traded four first round picks and a couple players and the right to swap picks and stuff. I mean, they've really mortgaged their future. So if this doesn't work. It's it's going to be a real problem. Yeah, and right now Harden doesn't scare me too much because uh, it looks like he's gained like ten to fifteen pounds uh, since the season started. And I mean, he he going into the season he didn't want to be with the Rockets anyway, so he doesn't really have that much of an incentive to to play and put in that much effort. But now looking a little out of shape, scoring only like fifteen points a game compared to like thirty five points a game. 
he doesn't look all that great. So his conditioning, he's got to work on it in season for him to be the, the fearsome James Harden of the past, I think. All right. Well, it is going to be interesting. The Bucks, uh, the, uh, Monday is Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. It's a holiday, and the Bucks play the Brooklyn Nets. So I, I think, you know, the, the Bucks. I think the Bucks are going to be better at the end of the season than they are now. I think they're still trying to figure out who they are, and there wasn't there was an abbreviated exhibition season. But it, it will be interesting to see how all this plays out. I are the Brooklyn Nets really a better team? Well, I mean, I you would think that adding a prolific scorer makes them that way. But a lot of times it is team chemistry, and I guess that's going to how it's all going to have to work out. We will see. Okay, I have been. Dancing around this, I didn't want to do this topic in the first two hours of the program because I know people will be agitated by this. Yesterday, and, and credit where credit is due, in the before the vote on impeachment was taken, John McCure and I were talking, and I, I, I asked him, I, I, set, I set the over-under at 10, 10 being how many Republican congressmen or women will vote for impeachment. And I asked him more or less, and, and actually the number was 10. Hit the number right on the head. It, it, was, it was 10 of the congressmen, women, congresspeople, Republicans, who, who voted along with the impeachment. So President Trump now becomes the second, the, the only president impeached twice. All right, now here, here is the reality of the situation. And I understand some people don't, don't want to understand, acknowledge the reality, but here's the reality. So President Trump has been impeached by the House. The articles of impeachment will not get over there till next week. And there, there's talk that at the earliest, at the earliest, a trial in the Senate, because that's where the, the trial is. And the president has a right, if he chooses, to mount a defense. You have the right to have floor managers or whatever. The earliest... A, an impeachment trial could be held, would be next Wednesday afternoon, which is the day of the inauguration. Right? So I, I, think it's, I think it's unlikely that they're going to do it then because it seems to me there's just not enough time to you know, have, have you know, a full exposition of this. But, but regardless, President Trump will be out of office. His term will have expired before the trial to remove him can occur. Now I understand that if you are conv- if you are convicted after being impeached, like impeachment is kind of like the indictment and then you have the trial where you're where you're determined whether or not you're you're found guilty and ult- ultimately removed. I understand that the, while the main purpose of impeachment is to remove somebody and not from office, if he is in fact convicted even though he's not in office, if he is convicted, then they can have a second proceeding whereby a majority vote, they determine whether he's whether he can run for office again. So that's he's going to be gone before the trial is in, in effect. If he is convicted, then they can move to a second phase where they can say, OK, he's prohibited from running for office again as a practical matter in the real world. Donald Trump is not running for any federal office again. He's just too damaged of goods. So his career, now I'm not saying that he might not still be a a political force among certain segments and he might not be a commentator and he might not be a little bit of of an influencer. But as far as Donald Trump running for president in 2024, in, in the real world, that 
he has no chance of getting the Republican nomination. And if he did get the Republican nomination, he has no chance of being elected president again. That's just the reality of this. So that penalty, you can't run again, becomes, okay, yeah, yeah, you, you can't run again, but you're not going to anyhow. In addition, and this is something that some people are not going to want to hear either, he's not going to be convicted. He, he's, he's just not. You would have to peel away. Um, there'll be 50 Republican senators. You're going to have to peel away 16. Now, a handful of Republican senators may very well vote to convict him. Maybe you get to 55. Maybe you get to 60. You're, you're not going to get to two-thirds. It's not going to happen. That's just the reality of this. And some people might be frustrated by that. Other people might be applauding it. But it, it's not going to happen. So my prediction is that if there is a trial in the Senate, he, he's going to be acquitted regardless. So the, the matter will be sound and fury, but at the end of the day, will signify nothing. That That's what I think the reality of this is. Okay, so Understanding that, and I guess you're, you're free to disagree with me at, at any step of the analysis, and, and we can talk about that. But th- this is this is how this is going to go a- as a practical matter. He'll he'll if there is a trial, whenever that trial is, it's not going to result in the conviction. You're not going to peel away enough Republican votes for conviction. Now, some people would say it doesn't matter. The whole purpose behind this is political to try to create a, a a further rift in the Republican Party. Okay, well, if that's what this is all about, fine. But but if the idea is we want to convict Donald Trump, I just don't think it's going to happen. As I have said all along, I think the better way to have proceeded on this is to recognize that with the timing and everything going on, that, that impeachment isn't going to happen, at least the conviction, and you would have been much better off to censure him um, for the the comments, the inappropriate speech, what, whatever you want to do. And, and I think you would have gotten broad bipartisan support in both the House and, and the Senate, and then you would have been on record, as opposed to this, this process that, that's playing out. But in any event, that's not where we are now. The House impeaches him. The Senate will at earliest have a trial next week where I believe he's going to be convicted. So let me ask you this question. Given where we are, given what's happening, given the volatility in the country, and given at least my assessment. Again, you're free to disagree with this, but I I think I've pretty much nailed this when I tell you he's not going to be convicted. All right. Has it been worth it? I, I mean, was it worth? is it worth going through this process? Is it worth the distraction? Is it worth it to have done this? Because now we've started this ball rolling. And from the perspective of the country, I understand from a political perspective, maybe there's some short-term gains two years from now, four years from now, how somebody voted on, on the impeachment of Donald Trump. I, I don't I, I don't believe that's going to be something that's going to be a huge election issue one way or the other. Could be wrong on that. But given where we are in the real world, you know, was what happened yesterday worth it? Is it worth going down this route? 855-616-1620. As I said, I think censure would have been the better way to go. It would have actually, I think, had some broad bipartisan support, and it would have had the same effect as this, what I think is going to be a failed effort in impeachment, um, turns out to be. All right, we discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620 is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 
Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Nancy Pelosi said he must be removed now. Why isn't the order on um, uh, the on Mitch McConnell's desk right now? Well, th- that's because everybody understands the timing, and everybody understands that th- this is political theater as much as anything else. Jeff, the whole process is a political circus. As of Wednesday, President Trump will um, sit in the Oval Office no longer. We need to move forward, not backwards. All this is doing is dividing our nation that much further, especially over our Democratic representatives continue to push the narrative that every Republican is a white supremacist. Um, 95% of the Republican Party is center to the right. Um, Jeff, everything depends on what happens in America the next week. If there's more violence, Trump will be found guilty. If calm, Trump will not be convicted. Um, Jeff, following your logic, impeachment was the way to go. Censure is meaningless. Impeachment without conviction is also meaningless, but at least it threatens the bad actor with possible punishment. Well, no, censure at least is a statement that would have had broad, I think, broad bipartisan support. Lots of Republicans, lots of Democrats in both the Senate and the House expressing their distaste their displeasure, official statements of Congress going on record censuring the president. I would think that actually that might, as far as a legacy, have more of an impact than an impeachment effort that I think is doomed to fail. And if the idea, look, if if there were a similar circumstance, and we were talking about this six months ago, maybe, and I say maybe, I'd have a different analysis of this, but, but we're not. He's going to be out of office, and you're not going to have the votes to convict him anyways. You're, you're just, you're not going to do that, so you're going to have, yes, the only president impeached twice, and the only president acquitted twice. 855-616-1620. Let's start with uh, Derek in Kenosha. Good afternoon. Hey, how's it going? Um, so my opinion on this, I, I agree with you 100%. It's honestly just a waste of time to do this, to go through this impeachment. But I feel like it's more of a cover up for the Democrats. So they can't Trump can't run again, because if they, it does in the, in the odd chance it does go through, he's not going to be able to run again. And I think that's what they're trying to cover up. They don't want him to run again. They obviously don't like him. Oh, Bo, so no, but, but see, don't, but, oh, but let me, let me ask, okay, just from a political perspective, knowing, okay, when, when President Trump ran this time, he lost. Okay, that, that's, that's just the reality. He, he lost. I would think that the Democrats, four years from now, would love Donald Trump to still be on the political stage because can you imagine how divisive a Republican primary it would be? And if he did run, I, I mean, I don't think there'd be any way he gets anywhere near as many votes as he got this time. He, he would be the ideal candidate in, in 2024 as a practical political matter, wouldn't he? Yeah, fair enough. I get, okay. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Anyway, no, thank thank, no, thanks. For, well, I mean, I guess I, I think no, this, this is about, you know, we're, we're 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 kicking butt and taking names politically. This is this is is Nancy Pelosi, who's been trying to get rid of Donald Trump for four years, who, who called on, on Trump being not a legitimate president four years ago. And this this is her 
way of, of exacting political retribution. Now, I mean, I, I, and, you know, from President Trump's perspective, he gave, he gave Pelosi, he gave the people who want him out, he gave them, he gave them the ammunition. There, there's no question about it. And in nothing I'm saying in this am I arguing that I think his remarks last week were, were appropriate. I, I've said this repeatedly. I think he, the damage he has done to his legacy since losing the election in early November, it's been just un, unthinkable. He, he would have had an opportunity had he chosen to go gracefully into the good night. He would have had an opportunity to be a political sh- mover and shaker moving forward. I think the Trump brand has just been so incredibly damaged, and, and it's all a self-inflicted sort of wound. All right, when we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News.